With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, here we are. We're back. It's Brett Ballantini here on the Southside Sox podcast. Not sure exactly what we're going to be calling it going forward, but this is our podcast. And I believe, I'm not sure, Scott, if you were ever on the Southside Sox podcast, so it may be debut, but I am here talking White Sox offseason with Scott Riker. Yeah, this is my debut on Southside Sox. Right. I'm honored to be here. So, Excellent. Well, it's early in the uh, postseason, uh, early in the off season. We're not even done with the postseason as the World Series is about to uh, begin uh, tonight. And uh, Scott, so let's just talk a little bit about, I guess, the surprise firing of Ricky Ranaria and maybe just a little bit of your thoughts. I know it's lots been discussed already about, I guess, maybe the kind of guy, if not the guy you'd like to see be the 2021 manager for the White Sox. Yeah, well, I mean, it would have to be someone that's very well-versed in analytics. Uh, it would have to be someone that's new age, that really relates to the players in the clubhouse, that knows how to put a teaching program together and can relate to all the young people there. And I, I don't have much more than that. I, I think those are the main things that the new manager is going to have to have. Well, let's jump into the key issue, I guess, here, given the fact that it seems like, well, I don't know, the handicappers out there seem to think a certain tainted manager from down in Houston might have the inside track on this gig, which might have even precipitated the firing of Renteria because we still really haven't figured out why he was dismissed, given the endorsement and joy over him making the playoffs from uh, GM Rick Hahn just like a few weeks ago. Uh, AJ Hinch, what is your feeling about the prospects of the White Sox hiring a guy with, I guess you'd have to say, a bit of a checkered pass, both with in, in terms of his results, given his Arizona, his debut as a manager wasn't so good, and the fact that there's just this scandal cloud maybe sort of hanging over him. Uh, how do you feel about that if he is indeed the guy with the inside track? Well, he's the guy that I think will end up getting the job. Um, hopefully it's not La Russa. Um, but uh, I have mixed feelings about him as a man. Um, I think he's a good manager regardless of the cheating. And I know that he has a degree in psychology from Stanford, so maybe there's a Kenny Williams connection there. Um, in terms of the scandal, uh I don't know what I would have done if I was in his position. And I think that's fair for anyone to, to look at when they're trying to think of his fault as a manager in that situation. Okay. So this is what I mean by that. It was a top down Jeff Loonlow production. And if your general manager, your boss has put in a cheating program while you're the manager and the players are all doing it and seeing success and enjoying it, supposedly. Uh, what exactly was Hinch supposed to do about it? He broke the monitors a couple times. Um, 
if he wanted to step down and quit, is he going to be a whistleblower about it? Is he going to tell the whole league? Uh, my thoughts are, as far as any of us know, half the league or more could have been doing this and just not gotten caught. It might not be such a unique thing to the Astros. It might be something that, I mean, we know Boston got caught doing some version of this. I have my doubts that Boston and Houston were the only teams doing it. And so if A.J. Hinch wanted to be a whistleblower, he wanted to quit the Astros, tell the league about it, it's quite possible the man would never have a job in baseball again. And so because of that, I think he was in a, between a rock and a hard place. And I'm not like letting him off the hook for it. Maybe quitting would have been the best thing to do. And maybe, I, I don't know whether you, you tell the league about it or you just quit and, and be silenced about it. But I don't think he had a good choice because no matter what, if I think he, I think if he quit, then he might not have gotten another job in baseball again. So he showed his displeasure with it. But in the end, if the general manager wants to do it, maybe even the owner, um, probably, uh, what do you do about it? What do you think, Brett? Is it, is it a situation? I mean, you, you make some compelling, uh, arguments and I guess that's, those are things, I mean, I've been quick to indict the idea of hiring the guy, frankly. And, uh, you know, what you just said, you know, opens my mind to it a little bit more because I understand it's a difficult position to be in and everybody's pointing fingers. I believe the GM is now coming out saying that he wasn't really the one uh, responsible. The players, I think, have made the claim that if they were told to stop, they would have stopped. So it seems like here everybody's pointing fingers at one another. So fair to say that maybe there isn't one bad guy here. Maybe a way to maybe reframe the question is, is this a guy we need to be focused on hiring and I guess you know, whether or not we like it, you know, whatever's going to happen happens. And if it's, this is a, if there's a Stanford connection with Ken Williams, all right, well, so be it. Uh, is it sending the right message even to your own team to snap up this guy, no matter how good you may feel he is virtually immediately after he is available. Is this guy, uh, is he a person rocking a hard place or not? Is he a person who should be snapped up? I mean, literally, perhaps hours after his suspension is lifted. Is there any logic to him having to actually make his way back into the game? I think so. Um, I mean, I generally believe in if you serve your time, uh, you get a chance for a fresh start. And I think it would be fair to ask the same questions to Yasmani Grandal and Alex Colome, who are both popped for cheating too, just cheating in a different way, right? I mean, teams all over the MLB are hiring people or signing players that have that have cheated in some way. The Sox signed Dallas Keuchel too, and even though he was on the pitching end of it, he was still on a team that was cheating. Are you going to say no to George Springer in the offseason? <laughs> Obviously, he's expensive, but are you just going to draw your line in the sand that we will not have anybody that cheated the game in any way on the White Sox from now until the end of time. No managers, no players that did steroids, no players that took place in sign stealing, none of that. I mean, because you're putting yourself at a giant competitive disadvantage, if that's true. And my second point about Hinch is, even though the Astros as an organization really embraced analytics, uh, especially on the pitching side of things, when pitchers got to the major league club under AJ Hinch, they had a system that really got the best out of the arm talent that they had. And that's the main reason that I'm intrigued with them. I want the Sox to build a program that could really get young arm talent to develop like Garrett Cole did. Um, 
Verlander wouldn't be the best example because he was an older player, but he got to the Astros and pitched as well as he had in his entire career. And I don't think that's by accident. So, I mean, that's why A.J. Hinch is my top choice, and I understand the reservations about him um, and the questions that some may ask, but I'm willing to forgive. Is it fair for me to ask, again, as a guy who still probably wants to find any way possible not to, again, whether this is a childish attitude or not, not to hire the guy seconds after his suspension is lifted, is it fair to assume that there are other other guys out there, whether they've been managers or not, fulfill, still fulfilling Rickon's uh, somewhat broad definition of a guy who's, who's been involved in some way, maybe on a coaching staff, in some way uh, in the playoffs, I guess in the relative recent past, let's say the last five, six years, um, who might have that, as you very well outlined, certainly with the pitching, um, Hinch's background and uh, analytics and success in getting the best out of guys. Is it fair to assume there might be Anyone else out there that might do, you know, say as good or better job, or you think because AJ's got sort of that proven record, obviously going going to and winning the World Series, that maybe maybe the White Sox sort of have to make this move because he's the one guy who's proven. We're not going to speculate about perhaps Tampa's bench coach or even uh, uh, Houston's own bench coach. You know, a, a number of guys who. Uh, who probably have bright prospects as managers, but just haven't done it yet. Um, do the White Sox, at, at the at the spot they are in their, I guess, beyond rebuild now, but in their rebuild, um, making it necessary to maybe go for Hinch as a proven guy? Yeah, uh, of course, there's other options, and you should look into everybody. And uh, if for nothing else, you do a thorough search – just so that you could talk to enough people to get an idea about where your organization is at, which is what angered me about the Robin Ventura hiring and the Ricky Renteria hiring. And it's what they were doing with the bulls before they hired new management is they just weren't getting outside perspectives about where the organization is. So if they need to interview six, seven, eight guys. I am fine with that. And I hope that they do. I hope that they haven't already decided that Hinch is their guy no matter what, but I do believe they they already had him as the leading candidate. It's just a hunch. I don't have any inside information, but sh- sure. Are there other people? Um, in terms of people that have managed before that we know are available, the only ones that we know of are Tony LaRussa and Bochi. Um, definitely want nothing to do with Tony LaRussa. Uh, not just for the fact that he's 76 years old, he hasn't managed since 2011, but he said some problematic things, at least in terms of um, social issues that probably wouldn't mesh well with this team. Now, I'm I'm not trying to get into a political discussion, but um, he had an unfavorable couple of things to say about Colin Kaepernick and the Black Lives Matter movement, that probably would not sit well with Tim Anderson. And I have a hard time believing that would be a good marriage to have um, with Giolito too. Uh, So that's a no for me. I I wouldn't even consider it. Sure, you could interview him and get his perspective about the team, but no. No to La Russa. In terms of Bochi, that's an interesting name. Um, he still seems to be a little bit of an old school manager to me, a little bit of a red ass, if you will. Can I say that on Southside Sox? You sure can. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I, I, 
is he the type of guy that would have something to say to Tim Anderson about a bat flip or Grandal or Moncada or, you know, is he the type of guy to get angry about players having fun on the field? I don't know. I, I haven't, I don't have a great feeling about that. I think he's a good baseball man. I think he knows what he's doing. I don't know how well versed he is in all the modern analytics, but he's had that track record of success in the last 10 years. So the Giants won in 2010, 2012, and 2014, right? Uh, if, if I'm correct about that. Yeah. I don't – is 2014 too far back for me to consider him uh, versed in the modern analytics? I'm not sure. Not sure. It's worth an interview. It's worth consideration. Now, besides those two, everyone else that you consider is an unproven guy not unlike Ricky Renteria, right? So if you wanted to go out there and hire another guy that's a bench coach where you don't know how good of a manager he is and he doesn't have a track record, why not just stick with Ricky then? I don't really know why they fired him. I don't know what their reasons were because they keep it close to the vest about those things. But you could look at a Sandy Alomar. Uh, you could look at the bench coach from the Rays. What's his name? Uh, Matt uh, Quinfraro, I believe. Okay. And I believe he was a, a assistant hitting instructor with Cleveland for three years, mm-hmm. two or four years. So interesting names. You should interview them. You should see what they have to say. If they blow you away and you want to hire them, um, you know, go ahead. They know more than I do. Uh, but if they really are concerned with previous experience, experience championship success, I think the leader in the clubhouse is A.J. Hinch right now. And as uh, to go back to the Tony LaRusso point, among many arguments you can make against him, and I think you pointed out the the age very well, but Dan Victor also did very well in our Southside Sox article uh, that pointed out there were several fictional managers that would be better candidates for the White Sox job than Tony LaRusso. And Dan pointed out that Pop Fisher from The Natural, Wilford Brindley, at the time looked very old and was grizzled, and I believe that was obviously part of the the the, the the character background is that he was a baseball lifer. Well, he was 50 years old at the time that movie was shot. So Tony Roos is 26 years older than Pop Fisher was in The Natural. Um, cinematically compelling case for not having Tony LaRusso as the next White Sox manager. We're going to take a short break and be right back talking a little bit about perhaps off-season targets for the White Sox. Okay, I'm back. This is Brett Ballantini on the Southside Sox podcast with Scott Reichert, uh, staff writer here for Southside Sox, long-time staff member with me in oh, all sorts of different little adventures we've been taking here over the uh, last, oh, I don't know, year or so. Scott, let's talk a little bit. Let's not get too much into specifics. I just want to know what you consider the biggest weakness of the team or, or what the White Sox really need to patch. If there's one thing that jumps out at you, what they need to do that they need to be targeting in the offseason, again, via trade, free agency, free agent market isn't exactly the deepest, and we don't exactly know how deep Jerry Reinsdorf is going to go into his pockets, considering Rick Hans already told us about the supposed $3 billion loss that the that Major League Baseball took on because of the pandemic season of 2020. Uh, what pr- is the pressing need for you, what you want to see patched up going into 2021? I think it's 50-50 between starting pitching and right field. 
And I think most people would put starting pitching well ahead of right field, but not me. And I, I think people are a little bit too comfortable with the fact that the Sox had a really good offense for 60 games, and there's no doubt that they did. But over 162 games where you have certain guys that could see some regression, uh, development isn't linear, you don't want to just have a premium spot in your lineup, which for most teams, right field is a premium spot where you need a bat that could drive in runs, that's good defensively. If we haven't learned from watching these playoffs that outfield defense matters, I don't know what everybody else is looking at. Um, So you need a right fielder and you need a good one. You cannot keep settling with projects. Obviously, Mazzara was a lot worse this year than he'd been in the past, but in his first 2,000 at-bats, he was a below-average player anyway. So you can't have any more of that. You actually have to solve right field with at least an average player on offense and defense. So that's a need. You need starting pitching, maybe even two starting pitchers. You need, you know, at least a middle of the rotation guy, and then you need someone else for depth that you're comfortable with uh, eating innings, even if that pitcher isn't going to be elite. And then, yeah, I mean, after that, it's depth. You need depth everywhere. There's no, there's no chance in your mind that a so-called platoon of Leori Garcia and Adam Engel in right field would, would satisfy you uh, going into 2021? I mean, if, if you want them to be a 500 team, then sure. <laughs> Obviously they could be better than that. Yeah. Um, but if the message that the team is trying to send is we want to compete for a championship, that is not the move to convince fans of that. Yeah. We're, I'm jumping around here a little bit. We're going to keep it quick here tonight anyway, but tell me this as long as we're in the outfield, uh, has Eloy Jimenez, um, is he going to, should he be playing left field ever again? I mean, as a, as a, as a regular, obviously, you know, you want flexibility, have a guy get out there, but as a regular, as a starting fielder, should he, should he be out there opening day 2021? I mean, I think I'll make a lot of Sox fans angry for saying this, but no, no, he shouldn't. Um, You don't want to make a guy that young your full-time DH, and I completely understand that. Now, if Eloy was just merely a below-average left fielder, I would say, fine, leave him out there, let him be Manny Ramirez. Mm -hmm. Um, But the problem is, it's not just that he's a below-average left fielder. It's that he's really clumsy out there. Yeah and tends to put himself in situations where he could hurt himself really badly. And we've seen that happen each year in the major leagues so far, where he's at least hurt himself a little bit by doing some very unaware things out there. Uh, That's the main reason why I don't want him playing left field full time. It's not just because his arm isn't very good or he doesn't have very quick first step or that he doesn't get good jumps on the ball. Um, This is quite a scouting report. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's a variety of reasons he's below average out there. But he just has a general lack of awareness of where he is on the field and some clumsiness out there. Eloy, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, man. I love you. You're a great hitter. But uh, just in terms of the defense, it's just – it's dangerous for him, I think. Yeah, you hit on you hit on the real issue there, Scott. And and it isn't just okay. We can we can get down. I'm always he's not good. He's not going to improve. Uh, all the stuff you laid out there is all legit. 
But you're right. I think you could live with a guy who just doesn't get the balls. I mean, you've got Luis Robert in center field, so you don't need to have a guy who even covers all of left field, as we saw um, comically play out during the season. But when you're talking about a guy who's had uh, a couple run-ins with, with the outfield wall, which, I mean, let's face it, I, I might buy if he was a, he was a first baseman being put out in, or a catcher put out in the outfield, un, uh, not being aware of the wall. Um, you know, the net, we've got an issue with the net now. Um, it, there's, there, is a, there is a clumsiness that if he wasn't so valuable – uh, as a hitter, if he wasn't so valuable on the team, we don't need him um, rooting and, and doing his, his, his cute play with the camera while he's in a cast. Uh, and I think that's really what what makes or breaks it for me, the fact that he's actually a danger to himself and really a danger then to the team's fortunes by being out there. I'm a guy who thought as a rookie, I saw some plays where he he indicated he had some instinct out there. There were a couple times where he got the ball in very quickly, which is something he seems not to do. He, he didn't do in 2020. He took his time getting the ball back right. to the infield. Um, he seemed to have a, a sense that I think has been betrayed uh, now uh, since then. And, and maybe I was, maybe it was just wishful thinking or wishful eyes on my part. I thought he had instinct to be perhaps at least average. Um, I think that ship has probably sailed and we both agree, Scott, I think we could deal with below average. I think we could accept that, especially given Robert in center field. But when we're talking about a guy who's going to be putting himself out for probably at least a couple weeks a season by being out there, I think you've got to look at him as um, as it being an emergency measure. And I, and I think the Rick Renneria line of, oh, you know, hey, he's trying and he's doing better. I mean, that's great. And he's still a young player. You want to encourage him. But I, I think at some point you got to stop dangling the carrot there too because – uh, it's not a matter of him being a nine-inning player the way Ricky Rennery would say. You know, we want you to be a nine-inning guy. Eloy, uh, we don't want to have to take you off for defensive reasons. I think at this point you got to look at him as a guy. I'm, 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 he's a danger to himself on the on the field, and I, and I hate to say that, but, uh, you know, he, he scares me and he scares the fortunes of the team because, you know, he could be out for a significant period of time just, I don't know, chasing on a fly ball. Yeah, and – those two week two week injuries can turn into season long injuries just um, real quick, yeah. and and it's not just about him getting hurt either. Uh, again, I mentioned the outfield defense that you've seen in these playoffs so far, and it's not just these playoffs. If you look back to the teams that have competed for championships in the last at least half a decade, you are seeing very very good run prevention out there. I think that would date back to the World Series championship. I think that was 2015. Going back to the Royals, great outfield defense. The Cubs had really good outfield mm-hmm. defense. Um, the Astros in 2017 had good outfield defense. The Red Sox have outstanding outfield defense. Um, I'm not so sure about the Nationals last year, but I didn't think it was bad. And then this year, both teams that are in the World Series have outstanding outfield defense. There's a theme there. And if we're the general manager of the White Sox and you're not learning from that, then I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's something consistent with the contenders in Major League Baseball. Let's wind things up, Scott, and look back at this bizarre 2020 season that, frankly, I never thought would would be played or would – finish playing with as few uh, injury um, or virus casualties as, as there seem to be. 
and what really jumps out at you, this is something we're going to be rolling out. I'm not sure when we're going to start it up, but I know we're going to pull some of our game stories from Sports Illustrated and run them on Sports Illustrated, uh, uh, Southside Sox as sort of a, you know, top 10 games of, of 2020 and such. But what jumps out at you is maybe your favorite, uh, favorite memory uh, of this past season? I'd have to go with Giolito's no-hitter. I, I like the guy. I mean, I think he's I, – I generally separate um, who sports figures are as people because you don't actually get to know them very well, at least for the most part, from what they are on the field. But Lucas Giolito seems like a genuinely good guy, and to see him throw that no-hitter, um, just for all of us as as people that have gone through this brutal 2020 to see – to have a night of happiness and joy and, and watching greatness for that one night, that was a really happy night for me. And I know for a lot of other White Sox fans as well. And, you know, for the first time in a long time, there was a lot of games that you could choose. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, uh, I think what makes it, you know, in the same way that Burley's perfect game had that outstanding uh, Dwayne Wise uh, a catch, which of course is beyond classic, but just the fact that, I'm the very last batter, uh, and, and if you just listen to the crack of the bat, you, your heart sank. I know I jumped because I thought with two outs in the ninth, the no-hitter was broken up, and to see Adam Engel get that incredible jump and really preserve it in a, a way that was, you know, of course not quite as significant as wise because there never will be another catch preserving it uh, in such a significant way, but about as dramatically as you could possibly seal a no-hitter with a last out, um, that really was the cherry on top for me of, of, of a game that would have been great even if it was a boring, uh, I don't know, 20-strikeout game and the last guy's retired on a bump back to the mound. But uh, the fact that that there was just that moment where you had a, a brief catch in your throat that uh, it, it wasn't going to happen and you just were ready yeah, to be crushed. <laughs> I screamed no really loud when the hitter made contact. And then a split second later, I screamed yes really loud. It was like watching Ben Gordon take a three a decade ago for the Bulls. You know, it was just one of those moments. Um, no! Yes! <laughs> yeah, right. Keep shooting those. Uh, well, then, of course, hey, Scott, we got a playoff win to discuss. Now, granted, the playoffs didn't work out too well, but, boy, for one day, the White Sox really looked like they righted themselves, and uh, maybe we're going to be a pretty ferocious team in the postseason, that whole, like, well, it's a new season, which everybody, of course, had to say based on the horrible way they ended the season. Uh, actually, maybe there's some validity to it because, boy, that that game one victory was um, was awfully exciting and inspiring. You thought, geez, hey, why not the Sox? In the same way that the, the Rays have sort of made this run, hey, why not the Sox? Now, of course, you know, as soon as the next day, that sort of got dashed a little bit. But uh, awfully nice to be able to pocket a playoff win for the first time in uh, – 12 years yeah it was great especially because in that that first game Abreu just had a monster game and it was like it was like watching a proud father just have his moment in the sun and um and hopefully there will be more of that to come but seeing him hit the bomb in game one and get come up with clutch hits and seeing Giolito dominate the way that he did in that game I mean it looked for a second like he might have had a perfect game against the A's yeah. in that one, so yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And then, you know, even though it was sad that they lost, they had a couple of good moments in the next two games. I mean, they were they were competitive. They fought back. Um, I thought maybe Ricky panicked taking Dunning out in the first inning of, the, of game three. But, you know, I understand why he did it. And 
just really the players failed them in that situation. Yeah. The bullpen guys couldn't get outs and they're walking people and you had crochet get hurt and you know, they, they tried, they just maybe didn't quite have enough pieces to get by in a playoff series this year, which is why it's so important. Um, if you want to call this team a contender uh, to go deep in the playoffs in the next few years, Rick Hahn's got work to do and he's got almost as much work to do this off season as he did last off season. Mm, there's a, a, a sneaky little promo of coming attractions from Scott Riker, because yeah. once we get a, a manager in, in house, uh, I believe Scott, you are going to be writing uh, probably among many things this off season, but certainly the, the one thing we've already discussed is, uh, is sort of what the White Sox need to do to contend um, and to get deep, not just one win in their pocket, but actually uh, take a step forward in 2021. So that's going to be something fun to read. You probably um, touched on a couple things here in our discussion. And I'm sure once that, that article's up, we'll, we'll talk again on the podcast. But uh, at least for now, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me sort of as our uh, first uh, reborn straight podcast, not the sharing socks you get from Lee Allen and Will Allen every uh, Wednesday or so. But we're going to try and do a whole bunch more of these on Southside Sox. Uh, keep brief, quick hits until we got a lot more to sort of bite into about the offseason, a manager, a free agent, or a, a trade. But for now, thanks for, uh, thanks for sort of tipping things off uh, here in the offseason with me, uh, Scott. And uh, let's do it again real soon. Sounds good, Brett. Thanks for having me.